want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. This is uh, fire. This is this is good. This is the truth. This is what you needed to hear from the booth. All of it, and then some. Uh, yeah, yeah. But this is good. Like this is inspiration. I, I mean, every episode of the exit interview helps me. Like I said, you know, it it, it helps me start to outline my resignation. <laughs> so. This one is like, you know, it, it put some, it crossed some T's and dotted some I's. Shout out to your principal. We have to hear you say that every time we have a podcast. Do you think that makes her nervous? You think she's nervous? She's Does like, it matter? what Does can it I do? Matter? Does it matter? That's right. I'm nervous every day. Shoot. I'm a black Amen. man in America. Amen. I'll go we anywhere got... and not be nervous. For real. Today we have on our episode Crystal Gillis, a good friend of mine. Um, met Crystal a while ago and just been like rocking with her. And she's going to talk about her um, work in Cherry Creek School District, working at the elementary level, working in secondary, doing all the things and having all the experiences that some of us Black educators are having every single day. So I'm just really excited for you all. We both are for you all to hear her story and just like just really sit with what she's saying. Yes. yes, yes, it's critical and uh, inspirational and and powerful, and I think um, it's it's worthwhile for everybody to listen to. So you know, sit back, pop up your popcorn, get ready to get enlightened. Let's go. Hello, exit interview audience, and welcome back. We are here with our guest for this episode. Uh, Crystal Gillis. Uh, so uh, welcome, Crystal. We are so happy to have you here today. For sure. Yep. Yep. Thank. Yep. Thanks for having me. So, if you would, let's let's go ahead and get into this and and uh, tell us about your educational journey. What what brought you into teaching? Uh, how did you how did you get into the game? You know, what was your inspiration, motivation, and 
uh, you know, what was that uh, beginning like for you? Yeah, well, originally I didn't want to do, like, I didn't want to go into education. So like my first job was, not my first job, but my first um, degree was in recording engineering. So I just remember my dad, see Asia didn't know that. <laughs> there we go. I love no that. Clue. I'm a musician. And, so like I started cool. out as a music major too. So, so recording yeah. engineering, that's dope. Yeah. And I, I want to pause for one second to say, folks, I've known Crystal for a while now. Um, and I like to say that I helped her like leave the classroom. I just want to put that out there. She and Har Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman in full effect. Yes. So I had no idea, but go ahead, Crystal. Sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. But I've always been into music and my dad was actually a DJ and he was a radio announcer on KDKO Power 1510 with like Dr. Daddio, like back in the day. There we go. Yeah. Shout out. Denver represent Dr. Daddio. Yeah. Let's go. So I would like go and my mom would actually have us like sit in front of the radio and listen to him. And I'm yes. like, why are we sitting in front of this radio right now? Like I can't see him, but I remember like going and watching my dad actually do a lot of that stuff. And um, he would always tell me like, when you graduate high school, you either need to make, like, make money, like make money to support yourself. So like, you don't have to rely on anybody. So I was like, oh, I'll be a recording engineer. I'll be the next Missy Elliott, right? Yes. Make six figures. Um, but then going into college, it, it wasn't about like music. It was more about the music business. Um, and then I realized I didn't utilize high school as well as I should have. So I would take my exams and I would fail. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, oh shit, like I'm paying for this now. Like I can't afford to pay for another semester. Um, and then I would get help from the professor and I would retake an exam then fail. And like that just continued through all my classes to where I'm like, I'm not even happy right now. And so I had to dive into what I really wanted to do, regardless of pay. Um, my mom actually was a para in the Cherry Creek School District. Um, and she worked with students that have special needs. And I would always go up there and volunteer. Um, and there was one young girl, her name was Sun, and she had Lang's disease, and she was mm. um, somebody that I really connected with. So that was like my first entry into working specifically with youth, which was youth um, that had special needs. I was always involved in sports. So my mom put me in anything that could get me in like a dress or tights. So it was like ice skating, gymnastics, ballet. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Can you see that, Asia? <laughs> no, I cannot. I cannot. Um, and eventually I got to high school to where it was more of like the track and basketball was something that really stuck. And just being a part of um, athletics and health and weight training. So I was like, maybe I can put these two things together. And then I went back to school to Metro State and I got my bachelor's degree in human performance and sport. Um, and that led me to become a physical education and health teacher. So I was mainly teaching health classes and weight training classes. And then I was like, okay, I'm grown. I'm good. I got this nice income until I got my first check and they took all the taxes out. And I'm like, shit, I got to go back <laughs> to school, get my master's degree. And now I have my master's degree in special education. So that's been my journey in regards to how I became um, an educator. 
So how long did you teach for? Where did you teach? Like what grades or whatever? Yeah, so I started at um, Cimarron Elementary School. And that was just me just trying to get my foot in the door. Like, okay, any place that has a job, I'll take it. Um, and it was interesting because when I got that first job, it was on the account that I was a black educator. Yes. And now when I look back at that, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have known what I know now. Um, Cause I thought it was just like, I'll take this and use this as my advantage, which I'm glad I did. Um, but I wish I would have held them accountable. Um, so yeah, I started at Simran Elementary School, but I Hold also- Hold on one second. Can you talk more about that? Like, what do you mean by I wish I would have held them accountable? I, I just going in right after college to where you're just, I was naive. So it's just like, oh, they want me there, you know, cause I'm a black educator. And at Cimarron Elementary School, you have the majority of minoritized youth. So they're looking for me because like, I'm able to help youth that look like me. And that's part of my community as well, right? Cause I grew up in that community. So it was more of me in, in my lens, being able to give back to my community. And I assumed that that's what they had seen, but it wasn't that it was more of like this burden and lack of support. So when I realized, like when one of the principals came and she said, well, what, what do you wanna do for Black History Month? Maybe we can come up with some new ideas. And I just kind of, that's when I realized like, oh shit, like how are you gonna ask me for new ideas? And I've been a product in spite of this district. Like I graduated from the Cherry Creek School District you guys didn't educate me in anything different, but now you want me to come up with something new. And that's when I realized Dang, the district, yeah, I realized I'm not even here to educate in the field that I thought I was educating in, mm -hmm. but it was like, I have to be a part of like these equity, like what's going on with equity specifically in the district. So I didn't even really get a breather my first year. It was always about equity any kind of meeting that I was in it was about equity and how to support minoritized youth okay thanks I appreciate you like take your time to say that um and I don't know if this, if Kevin this was your experience or you felt like it was but you know same thing happened to me right down the street from Cimarron at Sunrise where I was so excited you know interview for the job got the job the same day feeling like really excited kind of on the back end thinking Maybe it's because I'm black, but that's cool. Cause I'm just like you said, right? And yeah, then now I'm right. thinking, oh Lord, right? <laughs> so I'm glad that you talked about that. So after elementary school at Cimarron specifically, where else did you go? I tr I transferred to Cherokee Trail High School because I enjoyed coaching. So when mm -hmm. I was I coached girls basketball, um, but like the elementary school times and the high school times didn't mix or didn't yeah. match. So I would either have to leave the elementary school early and I would ask like, hey, can I leave early? You know, and they would be like, no, you can't do that. And I'll be like, but my paycheck don't say Cimarron. It says Cherry Creek School District. And I'm still going to another, another Cherry Creek school. So, but I ended up um, leaving the elementary level I taught at Cherokee Trail for two years. And that's when I was like, it's the same shit over here. 
than it is at Cimarron. Yep. Um, so again, it was a lot of racial battle fatigue. I had the privilege and opportunity of having a department head that was a male of color. Um, I had a coworker that was um, a woman of color. So that was nice. But then I started, I had the opportunity to experience their story as well. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the only one. Yep. But then even with that, I just realized a lot of complacency within myself and my colleagues to where I'm like, wait, we're just supposed to tolerate this? Like, this is how we're supposed to navigate it? Yep. Um, so yeah, with at, at Cherokee Trail, it was a lot of, again, me at, specifically as a, as a female coach um, to where there were girls on the bench that looked like me to where I was like, I have to present myself a certain way. Um, and there was just, again, situations with, white men, because I was a um, assistant coach, an assistant varsity coach at the time, um, and the head coach at the time, he was disrespectful on the bench a couple of times if I would give him like feedback. And that's what an assistant coach is supposed to do. I remember being at a game, it was at Arapahoe. And I remember we were playing, it was actually my former coach that used to coach me in high school. Um, and I remember we were down by three and I look at him and I say, hey, why don't we put Mariah in? Because she was she was like hot that game. And I was like, let's put her in, just have her have her hit that three. And I just remember him yelling at me like, I got this, I got this, which I get it specifically as a head coach um, around that time where it's like fourth quarter and he might be stressed. So I spoke to him after like, hey, you can't talk to me like that on the bench in front of these girls like that. Mm. That's just not gonna fly. So yeah. that's your warning. That's your warning. <laughs> Kevin, can you hear if, the patter? If can a, you hear if, the patter? If a black woman tells you, hey, for the audience out there, if a black woman tells you that's your warning, that's your warning. Believe it. And I tell you. I guess he didn't believe it. This is like he tried me the next game, and I was like, okay, this is enough. <laughs> But again, it's just like any, as an educator, as a coach, you look for support. So I went like the chain of commands, like they tell you to like, all right, I brought it up to him. Didn't work. Let me go to the um, athletic director. And I was told to wait till the end of the season because we didn't want any distractions. Mm. And I was like, hold up, you want me to, you want me to conduct myself like this and make it acceptable for a white man to yell at a black woman on the bench while there's young black girls watching. And again, I'm explaining myself to a white man, <laughs> to a white man that I'm reaching out for support. Um, but long story, cause the athletic director was actually my evaluator. So long story short, I told him I'm not sitting on that bench. I'll support the ladies. I ended up sitting behind the bench they labeled it as me not finishing out my job duty. And then my evaluation ended up getting skewed. So we get evaluated throughout the year. So originally I had like all these great standings, however yep. they want to do their evaluations. Yep. Yep. Um, and I guess they didn't know I kept record of everything. So any evaluation that I had, I would make copies of. And so after the whole incident, I get my mid-year evaluation. And then I realized like things are marked down, 
that weren't marked down at the beginning of the year. And I was like, well, I can't have like did it then, but not now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then that was a whole other thing to where I was like, well, I'm not signing it until it gets changed. Um, So it did get changed. Um, I did end up signing it. And then it was just this opportunity that came about to where I was like, I I don't even want to be here anymore. Like I'm not supported. I don't want to be here anymore. I can't coach how I want to. I can't teach how I want to. And then it ended up, I remember calling um, Dwayne Brandon um, and he was a head coach at Smoky Hill at the time. And I said, hey, I'm not coaching here at Cherokee Trail, but I just want to be involved in the game. I'll go ahead and do it for free. Like, I don't just let me volunteer. Let me hand out jerseys. I just want to be around the game. And it ended up to where he was actually transferring jobs. And he said, well, hey, I would love you to be the head coach at Smoky Hill because I've coached there before. Um, And I was like, oh, here's my opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it ended up happening to where there was actually a a teacher at Smoky Hill, a PE teacher at Smoky Hill that um, coached baseball, I believe it was, at Cherokee Trail. And he's like, so we can just swap you guys. And of course it was two teachers of color. So we were like, okay, like nobody's missing out because you guys still have teachers of color since you want to retain teachers of color in the district. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they say, so they say. It's a swap, it's a swap. Right, right. But then the principal got involved. She didn't want me to leave. She was like, no, you can't do that because if you do it, then everybody else is going to want to do it. Um, And then Preston Davis at the time was the athletic director at Smoky Hill High School. And I don't know what he did, but he found some written law or rule in the book that said we can go ahead and do it and the the swap happened um and then i basically finished off my my teaching career at smoky hill high school um can can we pause for one second yeah i just want to i just want to before you keep going i just i keep thinking about this idea of like power and power dynamics right you can't do that you can't do this Mm -hmm. i'm going to mess with your evaluation right um for my art for the audience um i teach at cu denver um shout out to school education shout out you know they're all shout out and i've had situations where students have come to me and said they're having some experiences when they're in their volunteer hours yes uh, with another teacher the the Mm -hmm. head teacher of their space and they're afraid to speak up Mm -hmm. because they're just a student and the teacher evaluates them and they don't want to get in trouble and i you know i just tell them like listen you start that now and you'll be always doing that. That's right. You'll always do that. So you have to figure out ways to, they do, um, figure out ways to navigate those conversations to get people in your space and your corner to support you. Because if you're always hiding behind, I don't want to get in trouble, it, yeah. you will always just turn your head to injustice, right? Now, whether people take my advice or not, that's up to them. But I always let them know that's just not okay because folks will do that. They'll mess with your evaluation and then they'll just sign it because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to cause conflict instead of saying, no, I refuse to sign this. You're going to fix this. I keep record because we know white supremacy loves the written word. They believe it. Right. So they keep record and all those things. So, yeah, I'm just I'm glad that you're talking about like all these different pieces and all these different folks who were just thinking like, 
they can control you because they write a check mm -hmm. that goes into your account. And that's a no. Right. And that's like the how they retain teachers of color. Because even after I did leave or when I was leaving, I don't know, I was I was I didn't know that I was leaving CT, but they didn't know that I was going to coach at Smoky Hill. Um, yes. So I didn't even know that that was I didn't know I was leaving at the time yet. Um, but somehow word got out. And I remember the athletic director was like, well, you can't teach here and coach at Smokey. And I just remember looking at him and saying, that's off my like contracted hours. I could do whatever I want off my contracted hours. That's none of your concern. And I just remember his face just turning red and he was just upset because I was done. Like I was just done, done. And I thought that was the end of it because I was like, okay, cool. I didn't stuck up for myself. I did what I need to do. Went to Smoky Hill. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. <laughs> here we go again. So yeah. And then I was at Smoky Hill for about seven years at Smoky. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then you were teaching classes at Smoky and coaching. Yeah. So the whole coaching thing, then that's when I realized, like, okay, here it is again um to where they wanted to have me because actually Preston Davis used to be one of my athletic coaches at Eagle Crest High School because I graduated from Eagle Crest High School um so he knew what I was about he knew my potential he knew I was always in, like a gym rat um and then all of a sudden the principal which was Randy Carr at the time realized I was pregnant and I guess that was an issue because I guess like a pregnant black woman that's a problem. Right. But I remember sitting at Preston's desk and I remember him asking, do you have support at home? And so that was just like, at first I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, well, what's their perception of me? Like, do they think like I'm this woman that can't hold my own? Do they think I'm this single black woman? Like what's their, what's their perception on this? And I said, I have plenty of support at home next meeting it was you know what like I wish we could have told you this but you know Randy wants to go another way and he wants to bring in this other coach I believe her name was like Andrea Gross I believe I'm going to go ahead and bring her in but if you still want to be a part of the staff like we would love to bring you on as a JV coach and I because said that you're I, pregnant because I was pregnant right um but I'm can we heated. just pause? Can we pause for a second? <laughs> let the people let that sink in. Like it's a black woman told because she was pregnant. She couldn't have the job that she was hired for. Are we hearing this? And they didn't say that exactly. Right. They're going to say like, oh, well, we still legally had to open up the interview process. Right. And we did interview somebody, but like Randy got his girl over here. So he's going to bring her on instead which was a white woman that's coaching minor. The team was basically all black. Of course. Black, black young women. So I'm like, okay. And I'm not saying that I was um, qualified just because I'm a no, black no, woman. No, no, no. Right? But if you can't even like trust your athletic director on his move, right? That's taught this black woman at the high school level that you knew played basketball and like he's trained, like where else is my mind supposed to go? Mm -hmm. And I remember 
over that summer, even while pregnant, and I was with my first child, Jewel, doing all the footwork because I knew Smoky Hill <clears throat> was a school to where like the basketball program is not what it is. Like it's not, it's not, I remember playing Smoky Hill in high school and like, we would be like, okay, Creek, we got to prepare for Grand, we got to Smoky. Oh shit. We got a bye week. Like we, we got to bye week. We can take a break. And again, it's just like the culture specifically, um, at Smoky Hill. So I knew things had to change and I knew yep. I needed support to do that. So I knew there were going to be times to where I could potentially be playing with four girls on a team, four against five, or, wow. um, you know, girls would, when I used to be an assistant coach, like there would be some girls that would show up to practice high or they would have D's and F's. And I'm like, nah, we, you will, yep. you would not be playing. You can't play. Right? But I, I know, I knew I needed the administrative support. We were in like, I had like negative $5,000 in the account. And we sit up here traveling to like Colorado Springs where yeah. we're about to get our ass beat. So I had to like sit here and change the schedule, right? So I'm focused on budget, changing the schedule, a playbook that they could actually understand. Yeah. Not that they couldn't understand, but there was no basketball players there. Right. So it's more you were built, you were building the program from the ground up. Right. And developing athletes. Right. So it was basically going from fundamentals to plays, but then like the logistics behind that. So I did all the footwork over the summer, thinking I already had the job to where by the time that August came, they were like, oh, just kidding. And that's when I told them, I remember stating, you know, I don't, I never had to be a head coach. Like if y'all would have just came to me directly and said, hey, we would like you to have the opportunity of being a head coach here at Smokey, but we do have some other candidates. Um, would you be willing to be a part of this interview process? Then I would have happily like taken a JV or a freshman or a sophomore or like I, I didn't even go there to get paid anyway. I just wanted to volunteer my time and be a part of it. But I was so upset because they took my time in the summer to where instead of me just enjoying my pregnancy of my first child right mm -hmm. it was the footwork that I had done specifically for this white female coach coming in that was supposedly more and I don't even like more I don't even know what word to put with it I don't know if she was more anything more acceptable for the program I don't know if that's even the right more white more, more white right there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank there we you. go. You're welcome. You're welcome. But, Leave um, it to Asia to put it, put, put, put the right label on it. Right. So I ended up not coaching. I was like, I'm good. Like, I don't want anything to do with coaching here at this school. But again, it was like another opportunity taken away. Yep. It's like mm -hmm. the more that you open your mouth or stand up for yourself, the more opportunities are taken away. But again, they want to retain teachers of color, which makes no sense. So I ended up, um, basically teaching health classes um, and weight training classes where that's a passion of mine as well. Um, and then since I wasn't coaching and then I started seeing more of the inequities specifically in the school system, um, I started getting involved in the equity work specifically at Smoky Hill. So I got involved with DLT, which stands for the Diversity Leadership Team. Yes. 
Um, and then I also got involved in sisterhood. But then you start seeing inequities in that as well, right? I'm like, why am I begging these kids to come before school, right? And school starts seven, eight in the morning. That's right. Why do they have to either come after school? So I basically, um, how students were talked about, mm -hmm. um, specifically with other staff members, students will come to me. And so I feel like I just became like this, I don't even know if I was, I feel like I just became this advocate specifically for minoritized youth. Yep. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. Not even that I had a choice. <laughs> Actually, I did have a choice, but it was more of how do I want my, if, if my kids were in the, in the public school system right now, how would I want, I would want them to have somebody that has support. So how do I do that? And then in order to do that in an authentic way, that's real, that's going to make actual moves based off of action. So I'm not just talking consequences come into play. Right. So for like, for the diversity leadership team, it was the youth that were speaking. I remember they wanted to do round tables with each of the, the subject groups. So they wanted a round table with the math department, a round table with the, you know, the English department. Yes. And they basically told their teachers, what's up? They're like, well, why are you sitting here teaching us this? We never, you know, like you never taught us about Black Wall Street. You never heard yes. of it? Yes. And like mm -hmm. teachers would actually be like, no, I never heard of it. And I'm like, like this. That's what you realize. Like, don't, don't. And so teachers, specifically white educators, would feel like they were being called out. So then the diversity leadership team got turned to, well, how are those kids allowed to be in DLT? They're not credible kids mm. to be in DLT. And I'm why, just why, like, why, why weren't they credible? Because they were kids of color, because their grades weren't good. Like, what was their reasoning? That, I remember having one student, uh, his name was Tay Ray. Yes. And Tay Ray was always going to be Tay Ray, like the most authentic kid. Let's go. Like, Shout he out would to come. Tay Ray. He, <laughs> he would. He would come to me and he'd be like, hey, Miss G, you know what that was, right? And I'll be like, I got it, Tay Ray. Like, I got it. Um, I love those kids. Or, or he Shout would out to Tay Ray. Shout right? out to Shout Tay Ray. Wherever Shout you out. are. Wherever you are. Going Do you think? The, the dean's office. Because um, like he was really cool with a dean named Sarah Watts. Um, and he would just tell her, like, hey, I know I smell like weed right now, but you know what it is, Miss Watts. Like, he didn't <laughs> sugarcoat anything and I was like so like I learned so much from him and I remember before yes. spring break we were doing a presentation on school to prison pipeline yes and Tay Ray wasn't there and Tay Ray came running in late and he said um he said I'm sorry I'm late but I'm late because I just got out of jail like he mm. told literally in the lectures literally we were in the lecture center and he like got the kid like the use the tension like that and they, he said, yeah he just, they wanted to hear what was right. he going through right and he said i'm just telling you this because i don't want you to be doing what i'm doing hmm. but i'm getting better and i'm going to graduate this year That's what's and, he, and he's talking about the school to prison pipeline in a real way just, right and i remember he said does anybody got any questions and it was like dead silent and then tay ray says he goes um 
you gonna tell me we sat here and did this presentation and y'all sat here and y'all don't got no questions for 90 minutes and y'all ain't got no questions how about you and he just started going around handing his let's go let's go and the kids were like uh 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 and they he's like you got a question i was like you better you better come up with the question say rago he got it yeah wow and i remember that day i um when we had a conversation after and there was a couple of the couple white students that stated statements where they didn't agree with school to prison pipeline and he's like miss g you know that's white supremacy i'm like tay ray you like i i know i know but it's step by step and i just remember telling all the the youth and dlt to be safe and don't do anything stupid over spring break and that was the last time i seen him he had ended mm. up getting in a car accident i believe the mm. weekend coming back um and he passed away oh no and he um that was even a thing. Like they weren't even gonna say his name at graduation. So that was a push. Really? Oh no. At graduation. And he no. had yeah. And so. he had impacted the community <laughs> and, and lived his life and everybody knew him, I'm sure, because Tay you Ray. can't have the personality that you describe and do what, what you did, but right. but I mean, I think what you what you illustrate yeah. are the challenges that we have as black educators, you know, because yeah. And I'm, I'm convinced of this in every episode of the exit interview really, really solidifies this way of thinking is that black educators, we come in differently. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even if our intentions aren't to come in differently, it's put on a like, you know, and we and I grew up in the South. And, and one of the things that I was raised with was like, you you represent every black person that's going to come after you every black person that's come before you and 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 it and it puts it puts so much pressure on you and and when they come to you and they say well what are we going to do for black history month what about tay ray yeah i can't nobody can relate to tay how 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 do you make it work right and you know what it is you're like i didn't even think about it but tay ray you know like i treat him like a teach treat everybody else we all have struggles right we all need to be uh pushed and, and, and just respected for who we are and and i just you know your story i think emphasizes that point once again and i i just think people who are listening to the exit interview need to hear this um i don't even know what the solution is to it you know because i think like i said partly it's on us you know mm-hmm. when we come in we, we carry certain attitudes about what we have to do for our community. And I, I don't want to see that stop because that that is culturally who we are. We never are going to like give up on our people. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. that's one of the things I love about us is that no matter what, you know, I, I think about the movie Life. I don't know if y'all have watched the movie mm-hmm. Life. Yeah. But, but, you know, like Eddie, Eddie, Eddie had his own problems. Martin had his own problems, his character. You know, but but they stay they stay with each other, and that's how we got to do. You know, like mm-hmm. look, that's the truth. That's who we are. Yeah. That's yeah. who we are. Yeah. And we know we we know like where I am today is not where I'll be forever. It's not who I am. It it's it. You know, it's it's just a a symptom of like where I'm at in a moment. You mm. know. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I, I, I'm sitting here as you're talking, Kevin, I'm thinking like, yeah, that all your, everything you're saying is true. And I'm still, 
I'm thinking about, you know, I just said before I knew that he had passed, like shout out to Tayray, wherever you are. And it's just like, that's just it, right? They'll say, they're not even going to call this child's name out of graduation. Mm -hmm. Somebody gets to decide, even if that was turned down eventually, they get to decide. That's the kind of power to not recognize someone's life. They ended up right? saying his name at graduation, but I'm like, why did it take? Right. It should have been the hesitation. I've had students and I'm, I'm sure we, you know, we've all had other students who have passed away and we've seen it very easily to say a student's name at graduation. But I, I think it goes back, Crystal, to your point, like that, that teachers are like, why does this student need to be on DLT? If I have failing grades, I should probably be the first person you're talking to. Like mm -hmm. you really try to look at data to drive your practices as a building. That's, that's the first people I want to know, like, who I'm going to. And I think we don't trust kids of color to talk about their experiences and learning. Like we, we assume that they don't value it. No, now we about to break this up into subjects of that. But then I also started to realize like, well, okay, if I'm going to put them in a situation like this, like how do I support them as an educator? Because yes. now students are being pulled out of class, being targeted by educators. Even after I specifically mm. said, do not come up and speak to the youth about what was spoken right. about. This That's is right. their time to speak. Like they would still do it. They would still, I said, this is a form of oppression. If you decide That's to right. pull this child out of your class to speak to them about something that you have the opportunity to speak to in this whole entire group where they have support, right? Don't do that. But they were still doing that. And that's also when I realized a lot of complacency, specifically with educators, even some educators of color as well. Yep. To where I'm just like, is anybody, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. Yes. To where I was like, is anybody else seeing this? Or we're just going to sit here. Is and this like, just this me? Is it, this is like, really? Right. And I felt like I was, I was the only one. Like I would have like my specific, like, I'll be like, okay, well, I can speak to this Dean or I could speak to this, you know, librarian. Okay. This person supports minorities. So I had like my, I can't even count them on one hand, like three yeah. <laughs> like, white folks that I would direct students to if I needed to, but it was always, there was either no action behind it specifically from white folks, or there was fear behind it or it was them coming to me and I'm consulting them on how to do their job. And I'm like, this is exhausting. Like, how do I start mm -hmm. to move these pieces to where I was like, we need to make DLT. The, the youth need to get some kind of credit for the labor that they're doing. Let's at least give them a credit. So we ended up yeah. having that club be a, have them have a credit but I still wasn't satisfied because I'm like, they're still coming in before school, yep. after school, or they have to pick them between sports and clubs. So I wanted to make it a class. I'm like, well, we'll make it a class. Yes. So we can make it a class. During, like y'all should be able to get the support throughout the school day. Um, and then it was like, you don't have a curriculum. All right, we'll build a curriculum, built a curriculum. It's not like, how do we know that this curriculum is going to work? I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then 
um, I believe it was Jennifer Radosevich. She was, um, she's a librarian at Smoky Hill. She goes, hey, there's this organization called YASPA. Like yes. they're already in Aurora. You know, they got a curriculum. I was like, there we go. There's our curriculum. There we go. Give them the curriculum. Well, you can't teach it because you don't got a social studies. I'm like, of are course. you kidding me right now, right? <laughs> then we get around that. And then Sarah Watts is um, one of the deans at Smoky Hill. She goes, well, I got that background. So we can put my name That's on right. it. That's and right. That's right. I was like, all right, cool. Shout out to Coca Spiriters. Right. <laughs> and for whatever reason, and I still don't know to this day, they won't make, oh, this is what it was. It was because Yaspa wanted to use Cherry Creek School District's name. And I was just like, why would an organization like Yaspa want to use y'all's name when you're not a district of inclusive excellence? Like, <laughs> like why would they want to use your name? Yeah, for real. And this was specifically, and I'm thinking in my head, like it's the time to do it because we had all, I had administrators of color. The principal was an administrator of color. The assistant principal was an administrator of color at the time. <clears throat> or what was her name? She passed away, Asia. What was her name? Alicia. She was the assistant. Alicia was there, right? Mm -hmm. We had Chuck Puga there. We had Andre Bala, administrators of color. Do we even have the only, and then there was Matt Gonzalez, um, all administrators of color. So I'm like, we're going to do this now if we're going to do it. And that's when I started realizing the complacency and just that, that hierarchy of power to where I'm like, we're afraid to like make this a class. And that's. And kids were engaging and talking about their education, which I know like whenever they can drive, like this is, this is what we want. And as a, as a social studies teacher, like engage, this is civic learning. This is the big picture. It's like, right. what do we have education for if it's not to raise kids to be involved? And like the best example of being involved is, is being able to speak on your education and what you need as a student. We know right. that like all the research says that that's like the highest level of learning for young people. Yeah. So I have a question then. Like, it's it there's a these are a lot of straws right for the on the camel's back right all the and the straws have been being put there for a long time mm -hmm. since Cimarron elementary days and we always ask the question you know like what was the straw you don't work in Cherry Creek School District anymore um what was the last straw where you were like you know what it's just time to go I don't feel like doing the limbo and all the moves and the, the shifts that's needed to to dance for Cherry Creek? It was just the, the actually seeing, seeing education, I would not, it's not education, seeing schooling for what it, what it is. I'm like, there's just so much complacency. Mm. Like, how are we, how are we, like, we're literally, like, in my head, I'm, I'm looking at it like we're literally killing our babies in our classrooms. Spirit murder. Like, we're right. And I'm like, <clears throat> at the time, because like when COVID hit, I had two students that committed suicide. Mm. And that mm. was a deep reflection because one of those students was a part of DLT. And mm. the other one um, was in my, 
think it was like a flag football class or something like that. And even though I wasn't directly, I didn't directly impact that suicide, but if they were in my space for at least a semester every other day, I still contributed to that suicide some kind of way. Mm. And that was just a realization to where I'm like, if I don't, I don't want that to happen on my account. And even with me being a part of Cherry Creek School District, or if I was a part of Aurora Pub, whatever district, I'm still a part of any student that dies, whether that's through suicide, whether that's through school shootings. There's some that that there's some type of responsibility that lies on me as an educator. And the complacency behind that to where I'm like, as educators, why are we not, if we're supposedly sitting here supposed to educate, you know, and support our youth, why aren't more of us standing up for our youth to prevent this from happening? Because it's there, like it's there. There would be times where I would see warning signs from like stuff that students would write and I would go to the school psychologist again, that that law of command, like you need to go here, then here, then yeah. here. They would be like, well, they didn't, they didn't do anything yet. So we can't really, I'm like, you guys, like, this isn't a, so just that complacency specifically with people that I was around. And I feel like my vibrational energy didn't match that. So there was just a lot of conflict specifically. Sure. Um, and then it was just also like the racial battle fatigue and then my own health. To where I'm like, I'm tired of coming in here and having to like meditate and then and then wait lift and then come into my office and like have my my Himalaya rock and my essential oils and my pictures of my kids. So I knew when I did leave my office and it's like, okay, let me gear up. Yep. Like then I can I have this place to come back to, but eventually like after seven years of dealing with the same shit, you're like, okay, these pictures I've seen before, I smelt this scent before, I'm tired of looking at this damn rock, it's about to go upside somebody's head, so I probably, <laughs> probably just leave now, right, yeah. to where it's like, it's, we have this student die, this student die, this student's, you know, getting arrested, this student's being escorted out of my class, and I'm like, we're not doing anything different, and then I would sit in equity meetings, so I'm like, what are we t- what are we talking about? Like they'll sit here and talk about the achievement gap or the yep, opportunity yep, gap. Yep, yep, yep. I don't even look at like a complacency gap, whoever's complacent, right? But I'm like, why don't you put people's pictures? We got students in this school right, right now. I want you to post their pictures up there to make it seen so that these other educators, I say these because I didn't like being, a, I didn't even like being associate. I didn't even yeah. like telling people I was an educator in the Cherry Creek School District. Mm. I was like, why? I want, I want them to, to stop looking at our youth, specifically our minoritized youth, as like this number. That's right. Or like this piece of data. That's right. Like we just had, at the time, it was like three students that ended up doing some shit in Erie, Colorado, got convicted, put their pictures up there. We're a part of that problem too. Yes. We're a part of this student suicide. We're a part of this student being, put their pictures up there. So it's like the, it's just like this gap between the district doing data 
instead of like it's not humanizing like the data and humanization they're they're not connecting and that's when I I realized and then having multiple conversations with Asia because I remember I was like hey I'm part-time with yes but now like aren't you proud of me Asia and Asia's like "Mm." getting it but not yeah quite Asia's like you got got one foot out the door come on come on let's go double the fist we're free I remember Asia saying like, okay, so next year you're going to be part-time, but like, you're still part-time there. So I'm like, Asia, I got it. It's good. August, I lasted three months and I was like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, but you got this full-time position available because I'm ready to walk out. Took like a huge pay cut. Hold on. Let's hold that. Let's hold that conversation for the break. Okay. Let's take a break and then we're going to come back and talk about Yaspa, talk about what like all things you're doing right now. Um, if you think schools are able to support black teacher retention, all those things, but let's just pause for right now. Okay. Hello, listener. If you've made it this far into the episode, perhaps you are enjoying this remix conversation about power, culture, and education. And if that's the case, please consider joining others like you educators, community leaders, activists, scholars, artists, and youth by supporting the Two Dope Teachers in a Mic podcast and productions on Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you can get on-air shout-outs, sneak previews, and early released episodes, insider information on the happenings in Two Dope Nations, and many other small benefits. The greatest benefit, though, is you enable us to keep bringing the fire. Because of people like you, we have expanded to two podcasts with the exit interview taking flight and forcing hard conversations about attacks on black educators. And we've added new features, including episode transcripts and a revamped website, all because of listeners like you. But that's just the beginning. Your support will open up new possibilities for us and for the communities we represent and advocate for. And at the $15 per month level, you receive a sticker. Yes, folks, a sticker. To support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash 2dopeteachers. That's patreon.com slash 2dopeteachers. All right, so before the break, you started getting into like the afterlife, right? (laughs) Like what, we talked about the last straw. We talked about this like, exhaustion and this battle fatigue around um like just trying to do all the things and I just happened to have in front of me Dr. Floyd Cobb's book who used to work in Cherry Creek in his book and I have just a section on racial battle fatigue and you know this idea of like hypervigilance right mm-hmm. trying to do all the things for all the people and just constantly getting like all these doors slammed in your face and not really just your face in the face of the children that you support right yep. Um, so now we're here and you're like, I'm out, I'm good. And you start talking about Yaspa. So please, first of all, shout out to Dr. Janice Mackey. That's yes. my girl. I forever. Mm-hmm. She was my first client as a consultant. I consult full time. Yes. If folks know, I, I have a consulting firm, Lions Educational Consulting. And she was the one who said to me, you should start consulting. So I will always be her and her good graces. I, I love her forever. So tell us about Yaspa. Tell us about your experience and all the things that you want to share about that and how else you're supporting the community too. Yeah. So like with Yaspa, I knew 
first I was like looking for ways out of the district, like when I was at Cherokee Trail, but I was like, I didn't really know how to do that. I knew I still wanted to support youth. And I remember having the opportunity. I never really, I never was really evaluated um, when I was at the high school level. So like when you do these evaluations, there's supposed to be people that come in and like help coach you. So yep. at the time I was part-time at YASPA and I'm seeing Asia like in some of our meetings and I'm like, hold up, they get coaching? Like what yep. kind of shit is? And I remember calling up Dr. Mackey and I'm like, hey, I know like I'm not full-time with YASPA, but you think I could get some of that coaching from Asia so like I can implement that in YASPA spaces and, and she's like, that's cool with me, but you gotta ask Asia. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Asia to where I'm like so complex where I'm like, oh, okay, well, I got to do this and that and this. And I'm like, I can't really leave because like my parent and da, 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 da. And then Asia's like, just go where the kids are. Like, why are you? And I was like, oh shit, you're right. Like, that's right. Okay. Like I can do that. Um, so I ended up having conversations with Janice, like, hey, I'm available. If you want me to be full time, like I just kept plugging that in her ear yes. like I was like let me just keep plugging that in her ear and then eventually like the opportunity came up um to where I was able to work for YASPA full-time to where I tried doing YASPA full-time and then working part-time at Smokey but I like that didn't work so I was like I'm just gonna be out and um YASPA has been like this humanizing space to where I've been able to work specifically with dope ass educators. That's what's um, that's what the goal is. And co coaches, um, having somebody like Dr. Mackey to where I remember the first like check-in that I had with her. Um, I was like, I thought it was gonna be like this. Okay, well, what are you doing in this space? What are you doing in this space? What are you doing with the youth? And it was just like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh shit, like we're on that kind of level. Checking in. So it was yeah. just like this humanizing space to where it wasn't about like the healing sessions that I was running it wasn't about me meeting hours it wasn't about if I was coaching it was like how are you doing in this space and like how can I support you um and my healing has when I even look back in childhood has been specifically um through black women and that has been thank god for like, black women right that has been liberatory um for me and that was something to where I started working at YASPA part-time or even when I was full-time and then I was at Smoky Hill part-time, it was hard to make that shift. It was hard to, like, I was like ready to leave Smoky. I'm like, okay, yes, finally I get to work with YASPA. But it was hard to make that shift to where I'm like, I can't sit here and do this authentic, liberatory, humanizing work to where there's action behind it and then go back to CCSD to where it's this facade of entrance convergence and politics and we're gonna do it to make it look like we're kind of doing it. Yeah. All our youth are being killed or like you mm -hmm. said, spiritually murdered. Yes. Mm -hmm. Spiritually murdered in the classroom. That's right. Um, and that's basically when I made that shift to YASPA um, I came on YASPA as a community liaison. Um, and I basically, it was when COVID hit and it was just me working with um, NAACP youth. Cause I was like that bridge between the NAACP Aurora branch 
and Yaspa. And I just asked the youth, like, what do you guys want? And what do you need? And that was like the first conversation. I didn't even know it was going to be a thing, but they were like, we need healing. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting how it all came. Like me and Asia talk about like vibrational levels and being on our life path and I was always into health um, and being a health teacher and they were like, we need healing. And I was like, oh, I got you. And we ended up doing these healing sessions um, that haven't gone away. So I've continued to do healing sessions. And now those are implemented specifically at Empower High School and Hinkley High School. Um, I do them the first and third Friday for youth in the community as well. And then also it's nice being in um, spaces to where I can actually make change, um, but also having like the support behind that as well. That's the, like with Yaspa, I have support behind it. There was no support specifically in the district, regardless of how big the district is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... Now, it, for our listeners, will you guys just tell us what Yaspa is? Or like, I think, I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah, yes, but it stands for Young Aspiring Americans for Social Political Activism. So YASPA is an organization that's specifically around youth voice. So even like adults in that space is never about me or Dr. Mackey or the other educators. It's youth coming in that space and like, hey, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm seeing. I need your support. And then we basically do what we need to do to get them what they need. So there's different coalition spaces. So we have like Cops Out in Aurora, which is where students are advocating and saying like, we, we don't want them in our schools. We have yes. Aurora Youth Coalition to where they're looking at things in regards to what's going on there, what's going on, excuse me, in their community and how they want to change that. And specifically in policy spaces, we have the Denver Youth Coalition, we have concurrent enrollment. So there's all these spaces that basically tie into um, like social activism and um, social sciences. And one of the reasons why I did get involved specifically with YES because when I did see specifically minoritized youth um, being affected in my classrooms, mm -hmm. I stopped going to the school psychologist at Smokey or the deans at Smokey, I will call up Dr. Mackey and I'll be like, hey, I got this youth right here and they're struggling. What resources do we have? And she would be like, oh, we got da 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 And she's like connecting me with all these community leaders that I had no idea about. Yes. Like I'm talking about like mental health support, yes. like specifically for a black male student from a black male therapist. Yes. And I'm like, it's so we, important. Right. And I'm like, if 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 an if Yaspa could do this, like this is what I want. But I then that's when I was like, well, how, why can't a district do this? Like that's they right. completely have the funds to do. Why can't they do this? And it wasn't just that. She didn't stop there. She was like, oh no, we we got this. No, I got this attorney. I'll let me hook you up with this person. And oh wait, the family's dealing with this. Oh, I got this place where, you know, we can give the family food. So it was more than what I asked for specifically for just this one student. And I'm just like, this is how we make change based off of action. Um, so yeah, YASPA, I feel like it would be hard for me to explain specifically what YASPA is just specific because it's so 
much, not just with what it represents, but what it represents to the community. And then yes. like what it's done for me personally. And I've never worked for an organization to where I've been able to get personal growth and like financial stability. Yes, uh, very important. Like that, so. that's what I think as educators, that's what we went into, you know, it for. And it it sounds like a, a beautiful organization and, and like everything about it. As I pulled up the webpage, I'm just like, how have I not heard about this? This is like, this is something we all need to hear about. Uh, but how can people support Yaspa, our listeners, and, and what can they do to kind of help to make sure if they if they value um, these types of organizations and services for students, which I think are critical for us to really have a genuine democracy. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is what we're working for. This, like as a social studies teacher, this is what we're about. But yeah. how can people support? I think that people can support when we see our minoritized youth struggling and just to be real, like, okay, this school system ain't gonna do nothing for you. Like it might do a little sum, but it's not gonna get to like the depth of our trauma specifically. So come on and send them the yes, but like we got them over here. Like if y'all ain't gonna do anything with them, right? And you're not gonna do it right and authentically and organically mm-hmm. and wholeheartedly, and you're just gonna you're gonna half-ass it, then just send them over here to Yaspa to where they're going to get that nurture and care. And also I'm still pushing for Yaspa to specifically be in our school systems Yes, because that's a way to specifically dismantle them. And until our education system realizes that our practices need to be dismantled because we can't even do it with language, even like the word retain. I'm like, y'all can't, y'all aren't going to keep teachers of color using the word retain, right? Like that's, it has to be dismantled. And until white supremacy and whiteness is spoken about instead of how our students of color need to be fixed, right? Like nothing's going to change. So that's how I feel like YASPA um, can be supported for sure. And any kind of donation would be nice too. I'll just throw that out there. Donation, (laughs) money money matters, money (laughs) money matters. Yeah, audience, listen, write a check, audience, right. okay? Let's go, get in on yeah. it, donate. So, uh, I think you you, talk, you touched upon this, um, but I do want to know, do you feel like, um, or what would advice would you give, <laughs> if there is advice, what advice would you give to districts, to unions, to colleagues, Black, white, or otherwise, about like keeping like educators in the school district spaces. Would, would you give advice? Is there anything you could say or no? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty I could say. I don't think they want to hear it. <laughs> but okay. I know there's plenty I could say. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it's more about the action behind it. Like I can say it, but what action do I need to put behind that? Period. And like the only thing I could think of is just understanding the language that our like our, our school system, our school systems use. So even like the word retain, that means to continue to have or keep possession of. Yes. Our teachers of color are not. I, I'm interested be, in being retained. Right. Right. So you're yeah. not, you're not, I'm not hearing any language of how do we, you know, love or nurture or honor mm-hmm. or you know, protect our teachers of color, like none of that language is being used. How do we hold 
people, places, or things accountable that cultivate. are forcing cultivate. our of color, right, out of the school system, which is white supremacy. Sorry. And again, if you keep putting that on the back burner, there's not going to be any teachers of color that are educating youth that look like us. And I remember, again, being in one of those roundtables to where the principal at the time, which was Chuck Piga, he stated, well, we're going to get more teachers of color. And I remember stopping him and I said, don't bring any teachers of color here if you're not going to support them. Period. And like, he just, again, acted like, I didn't say anything, right? But I don't, until white supremacy is the conversation of equity work specifically in the district, they're not going to be able to retain teachers of color. That's why you have so many, specifically in CCSD, we have our, <clears throat> I believe it was three of our administrators of color passed away. I'm like, I ain't trying to, sit here and work in this district for another 14 years and then just die after I that's right like, I that's what's up I ain't dying for y'all I ain't dying for y'all people <laughs> right. I ain't dying for y'all people I'm right. sorry and supposedly it was 27 teachers of color that left the district last year good for them liberated so freedom. Right. I do not regret my decision in leaving and, and it, was have, take, yeah. it was one of the best decisions that I, and I don't even know how it worked out. It was just like, I resigned. I remember typing up my letter to Chuck Pugh. I was, I basically told him I'm not proctoring these ACTs and SATs. Like we all know it's systemically racist. I'm That's contributing right. to oppression when I'm proctoring these tests. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to any meetings that contribute to my oppression. However, this is what I'll do instead. So it wasn't like I was just trying to get out of working. Yes. Like I came up with alternatives that were going to be best for me and my healing because nobody was coming up with accommodations for a black female teacher. And I remember no. him coming back with an email and he said, well, according to, you know, the Cherry Creek School District laws and policies. And then I just hit him with my resignation letter and it felt so good. Ah. I was like, <laughs> sign up. Like I got you, got you. <laughs> Got you. You know what, though? Let's talk about that. Like, how many of us who heard or hear, just heard you say that and said he came back with it and you came back with it? Like, uno, uno, out. <laughs> like, slap, slap. Like, reverse, Boom. reverse, draw two, draw two, uno, uno, out. And it's, it, it's like, I'm sitting here listening to this and I, I love that for you. I love that for you. I love that for every educator who was like, typing up their letter, letter of resignation and like really stepping out there, right? And like you said, for you, it was a pay cut, but you decided the value and it's going to work out and you're not starving. It's been a while now since you've been out here. And so I think that's a big part of it. Just thinking about people that I've, I've been talking to a lot of folks recently in the last couple of weeks who are like, what should I do? How can I, how do I get out of here? I don't know how to get out of teaching and the big part, I've always said this, is mindset. You got to believe. You got to believe that you are more valuable. And when you leave teaching, you won't die, which is a premise of this podcast, mm -hmm. right? You didn't die. Not a single person who has been on our show has just balled up and disappeared into the ether, right? We survive. <laughs> we thrive. We help our communities. We do dope shit, right? That's right. And I need folks to understand that. 
we keep going. We move mm-hmm. on. We we're we're fine. We're fine. Oh, we grow um, and we grow oh. and we're better off. And our That's kids right. are better off. And our families are better off. Yes. And we can be pregnant and and Crystal, I know I'm gonna tell Crystal all her business, but Crystal is pregnant right now. There we go. It's a boy, it's a boy. I got your present already wrapped. And she I'm pregnant with the pay cut. And oh, doing better than I was before. That's right. <laughs> Healthier, feeling better. Right. Versus your first pregnancy where it's like, I don't know if we can have you work here because you're fragile. Right. As if black women right. enslaved black women. I know, women, I know. That's the truth. Work, like enslaved black women have been working on this right but you know what? island forever right and like working with yaspa to where again i had my quarterly with dr Mackey, and she's like so what do you want your maternity leave to look like and i'm like wait hold up like wait i don't got like six weeks for like a vaginal mm-hmm. birth or eight weeks for a c-slip what do you want it to look like i'm like oh shit like i and i like have i'm still sitting here trying to I'm still sitting here trying to process what I want my maternity leave to look like. And I'm doing March. Yes. And I'm like, so calm. I'm like, my, like, yes, they got me. That's like, I'm saying. not stressed about it or anything. That's it's great. <laughs> uh, last question. As we talk about what it's been great. Yes. Uh, we're, we're adding this one to our podcast. The new Seven first, first Cruise. ever happened. You're the first person to answer this question. So like, what's bringing you joy these days as a wrap up to our podcast tonight? Um, for myself specifically, it would just, um, being able to decolonize myself as a black woman. Yes. Um, and I would not have been able to do that at CCSD. Hmm. Like that all came from my short I'm like oh like my short time span with Yaspa um so even with just like the language I use my thought process behind who I am and what I bring specifically to spaces working with Yaspa has allowed me to it's actually forced me to hone in more on my faith which that's brought me to places to where I've never imagined like me and Asia have had countless conversations I'm like I'm not I didn't expect to take a pay cut you know and be in the home that I'm in right now or be in the neighborhood I don't even know how I'm still trying to figure out yeah yeah how I got here but it's just my faith um being able to work from home um and be with my own children being able to sit in spaces yeah being able to sit in spaces to where I can hear what educators are saying like if I'm in a parent conference or a equity meeting or a past meeting specifically for my children to where I have the language to be like, yeah, we're not going to do that shit today. Like, this is what you just said. Um, but really just, I'm just enjoying the process of being able to grow because in the district I was stagnant, there was no more growth for me, but being able to grow and decolonize myself, being able to work around colleagues that I'm not sitting here like side eyeing, but more of like, what, like, what do you got? Like, like I just, any person that I pick, any colleague that I pick specifically within YAS, but like I've grown from each one of them, even if that's them holding me accountable, right? We call it like calling in, but like I have Tracy to where she's like, I do one-on-ones with Tracy Trinidad 
And um, she's like, yeah, we don't use that language, use this. And I'm like, okay, you know, or holding me accountable for how I see certain situations, but allowing me to, it's reflection within myself. Yeah. And that's something that educators, as educators, we have to do that in order to educate our youth. That's why white educators need to reflect on their whiteness and how it is portrayed specifically in classrooms and how their whiteness affects our minoritized youth, but there's no reflection there. So it's really just been reflection, being able to decolonize myself. That's been where my happiness has led for sure. And being able to be around specifically uh, black women that have contributed to my healing. So thank you, Asia, you're one of them. Of course, of course, just keep showing up and pay that forward for sure. I will. Um, well, another great episode. Thank you so much, Crystal, for coming on. We appreciate you. Um, audience, go out there, donate to YASPA, visit their website, yaaspa.org. Um, and we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Okay.